God, we are, uh, we're grateful that you know our stories, and this is not, we gather here this morning and we bring our own story, and we're trying to understand how our individual story is really designed by you and fits into your larger story, and we know you have a larger story for our lives and what we see. Thank you for the things that have and do bring us joy throughout the summer and things that you are generous in giving to us. And now we ask this morning that you would generously give us uh, ears to hear so we can hear what your spirit says to us and we can become the kind of people you've designed us to be, full of the life of God, full of his goodness, full of his power, uh, full of his love um, in our lives. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, how many people, uh, high school or junior high band? Just curious. Band or orchestra? All right. Musical instrument quiz. Every once in a while we do one of these quizzes. Today is a musical instrument quiz. All right, here we go. Ten questions. All right. This resonant instrument is unusual in the violin family as it has not always had four strings. Used to have three and now tends to have four or five. Is it also, is also used often in jazz bands. All right. A violin, violin cello, saxophone, C viola, D double bass. Answer? D, double bass. All right, we have music people here. All right, question two. Translated from the German, this member of the percussion section means bell play. Sounds like Jeopardy, doesn't it? What is? All right, bell play. A, xylophone. B, bellenspiel. C, celasta. D, glockenspiel. Answer is? A. Ooh, I heard some A's back there. The answer, I think, is D, glockenspiel. Glocken is bell, spiel is play. All right, number three. This instrument used to be called the sackbutt. <laughs> it's found in the brass section and is unusual as it is not operated by pistons. That's the little keys that go up and down. All right. A, trumpet. B, violin. C, tuba. D, trombone. Answer? Trombone. It is a... And anybody, anybody here ever play the sackbutt? Just curious. Trombone. All right. All right. I see that. All right. Here we go. Number four. A member of the Woodman family, this instrument has a single reed, a cylindrical bore, and a mouthpiece. It is relatively a newcomer to the classical orchestra. A, oboe, B, tuba. Yeah, right. C, cornet. D, clarinet. Answer? D, those of us. All right, good. D, clarinet. Any clarinet players? Clarinet. Clarinet? Got a few. All right. Number five, this instrument has existed in various forms since ancient times. It consists of many strings stretched over a frame and is caused to sound by the player's fingers on the strings. There are also seven pedals which are pressed to alter the pitch. A, banjo. B, harpsichord. C, harp. D, piano. Answer? I believe it's C, harp. All right. Five more. Number six. This, a metal bowl with a membrane stretched across the top is struck with sticks with blobs of stuff on the end. Keys at the side of the metal bowl can be turned to pinpoint the exact tone required. A, timpani. B, anvil. C, snare drum. D, gong. Answer? I believe it's timpani. All right. Number seven. Two of the most famous players of this string instrument are Nicole Paganini and Yehudi, I don't know how you pronounce that name, you know, Menuhin. Beethoven only wrote one concerto for this instrument. A, double bass, B, cello, C, violin, D, viola. C. All right. Answer C. Thank you for the back row there. All right. That's one advantage of having elementary kids in the service. All right. Number eight. The brass instrument is a mat. This brass instrument is a mass of tubes. They curl around and across and around so it looks like a bell at the end, a mouthpiece at the beginning, and a circular mass of brass tubes in between. A, harmonica. B, French horn. C, trombone. D, cornet. Yeah. 
B, French horn. French horn players? That was me, French horn. Anybody else play the French horn? Really tiny, teeny, tiny mouthpiece. All right, number nine, a few more. This, the player of this woodwind instrument blows across the hole at the head of the instrument, which vibrates the column of air within the tube, producing a breathy sound. A, flute, B, oboe, C, clarinet, D, saxophone. Back row, what do you guys say? A, very good, all right, the flute. All right, number 10, last one. An instrument you blow into, which is not the technical term, obviously, which usually has a double reed and conical tube. Mozart wrote a concerto for this instrument, which remained lost until comparatively recently. Hayden also wrote a blank concerto. A, trumpet, B, yeah, we go, oboe. Now, now, back row, is that, you guys concur with the answer? Oboe, is that correct? Yeah. Very good, thank you. All right. Now, you could pass all 10 of these questions and probably hundreds of questions with perfection and correct answers, all right? Knowing the answer to this question number 10, does that help you know what an oboe sounds like? Yeah. Okay, this is going to be an interactive morning. How many of you, anybody here play the oboe? Anybody here play the oboe? You still do? Used to. Oboe is one of those instruments that if it's not played well, it sounds like a duck. All right? The point is this, though. You can know all these things about instruments. You can know a timpani is a big metal bass with things stretched over it. But that would not at all help you recognize the sound of these instruments. All right? You might recognize it if you see it. But if, we, you, know, if, if you knew nothing about instruments except you studied all these facts... And you might know these facts to a T. I could play a trumpet and you would have no idea which of those instruments it was because you would have, assuming you would have had no prior listening experience. All right? And even if you have listening experience, sometimes instruments like oboes and bassoons sound alike, but they're tuned a little differently octave-wise. And there are certain instruments, the more and more fine-tuned they get, the more they're hard to discern. Now, let me, ask, let me ask this question. Is it possible then, and the answer to this question, of course, is going to be yes, but I'm asking it anyway, that you can know all kinds of details, data, and doctrine about God, but have no idea what his voice sounds like? And how many times have we kind of, not kind of, have we erred on that kind of Christianity? Where we know the right answers, we know the right things to say about God and about the Holy Spirit and about the cross and about the blood of Jesus and about Jesus. We can get all the answers right, but then if I were to say, or if somebody were to ask you, what does the voice of God sound like? You can get a zero on that, even though you've got a perfect score and everything else. And uh, I think all of us can relate to that. And we can relate to the times where we know the right answers, but we don't know what it sounds like. So today we're talking about, um, we've been doing a series of the Gospel of John. Today, and I, what I put on here is Jesus, who's always challenging the status quo. He's always challenging the way things are. He's always pushing on the status quo. And the Gospel of John, remember, is, is not some nice hallmark moment. It's actually a prelude to death. Because you see, we saw last week, saw two weeks ago, people wanted to stone him. We saw last week that the Pharisees were ticked off at him. So he's consistently 
bumping around the status quo and irritating people. And that's what he loves to do in your life and my life is he loves to challenge our status quo, bump us around, and frankly, he irritates us at times, all right? So Jesus loves to challenge the status quo, but he's challenging it not because he just likes to challenge it, because he's trying to bring life into situations where we aren't letting it in. All right, so what we're doing here is John, uh, John chapter 10. Now, here's a question. If you've been part of Exodus at all, you will have seen this question, and you might see it till you get, uh, you know, ad nauseum. But it's, it's the defining question for those of us who are part of Exodus Church. I think it's a defining question for any of us who are, say, we're followers of Jesus, and I'll, we'll see why here in a second. Have you sensed any leadings from God lately, and what are you doing with it? Have you, has God been talking to you lately? How are you responding to it? Um, promptings, leadings. One author I read recently calls them whispers from God. Um, and what we say at Exodus is we want to be hear and respond kind of people. When you look at the Bible, it seems like the kind of people God really esteems highly are those people who hear my word and then put it into practice. He who has the ears to hear, let him hear. Listen to what I'm saying. You know, you, you hear my words, but you don't do what I'm saying. But you start, at, start from Adam and go all the way down to the seven churches of Revelation. Hearing and responding seems to be the metric by which God will gauge whether we as human beings uh, bring him pleasure. All right? So hearing and responding to the voice of God, not just knowing the right answers, and kind of ask this question, is there anything God's been saying to you lately? Could be about small things, not small things, could be about ordinary things like your marriage, family, your money, or it could be bigger things like your career, where are you going to move next, what do you need to do, big spiritual decisions, all right? But this is a question that hopefully is always going to be on the tip of our tongues, so to speak, because it seems to be what God seems to value. All right, now, in response to that question, we're going to look at John chapter 10. Now, let me say this too. When anybody were to say, if any of us, if I were to say to you, God told me this, or, um, I mean, just this last week, I had this, and this is, this is, it's a weird thing, but it's, you know, there was, we had some car trouble, and I literally asked, I literally one time was downstairs in my basement, frustrating, trying to figure out where to get it fixed, because I knew it'd be expensive, and I literally said out loud, God, what do you want me to do with this car? Where do you want me to get it fixed? Now, God didn't yell down, Volkswagen, you know, whatever. But in the next few days, I feel like I got some insight from somebody that was unexpected that I took it to a place, and it was, uh, it was a good repair for a lot less money. Now, I'm not saying that God always does that, but for most of us, and sometimes I've either not listened or not even asked the question, and some of you might think, well, does God really care about where you fix your Passat? And I, I think he cares a lot about a lot more than what we think he cares about. But most of us, when we hear the word God told me, our experiences, and this is where we have our famous weird meter, the weird meter starts going off. Because you know and I know people who have said, well, I think God told me to do this, and we're like, yeah, right, sure. God told you to build a swimming pool in your backyard because that was going to be an evangelistic tool. Sure, whatever, I don't know. Or God told you this, and sometimes God tells, you know, and it sends the weird meter a little bit uh, high. Sometimes we see things on TV. Sometimes we've had friends that we feel like have gone over the deep end on spiritual things. And God's always telling them things, and it seems to not resonate with us. So understandably, when we talk about God speaking to us in day-to-day ways, the weird meter is going to be up a little bit, and it should be, 
Um, but we want to avoid the extremes, the, what, I, what I would call the nutty extremes. But Jesus was doing and saying things that were quite weird. And so to the weird meter, it's okay if your weird meter's off here because mine is kind of going off and it always does when I talk about stuff like this. Okay, here we go. John chapter 10. This is Jesus. And if you remember, let me just bump this up here a little bit. If you remember, like I said, the last few chapters, he was causing quite a bit of havoc among the, among the Jews. He'd been at some festivals. Um, this particular chapter is the festival of Hanukkah, which is remembering some past ways in which God had rescued Israel. But uh, Jesus is not making friends at all. He's actually creating enemies. Like I said, they've, been, they've wanted to stone him. People have said, you're, you're demon-possessed. People have said, you're crazy. People have called in question his, his uh, birth, knowing that he was not, his birth was questionable, as there are, you really know, you're a mere man, who do you think you are? And the Pharisees have begun planning to arrest and kill him. So he's saying things that are quite inciting to people. So he's in Jerusalem. It's uh, the festival of Hanukkah. So there a lot of people are in Jerusalem. It's like a big festival. So anybody who was spiritually inclined or motivated, they were supposed to gather in Jerusalem. So all the real serious, quote, unquote, disciples were there. Serious leaders were there. Serious Pharisees were there. All right. And this is Jesus teaching and talking among the people in the whole Jerusalem temple complex, all right? I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. Now, let me say one other thing. The festival of Hanukkah was celebrating Hanukkah, which was the rescue of God's people um, it was a couple hundred years after, after uh, no, it, it was uh, 200 or so A.D., but there was, what had happened was the shepherds of God's people, the leaders of Israel had failed in leading the people, and so they fell into captivity. So every year at Hanukkah, the priests and spiritual leaders of the Jewish people were to reread passages like Ezekiel 34 and other Old Testament passages that talked about what true shepherds would be like. And they were to measure themselves against what God says a true shepherd of the people will be like. And they needed to recalibrate their understanding of what a shepherd was, all right? So this is what's in the mind of everybody during Hanukkah is our leaders need to be always being good leaders and good shepherds. So Jesus, by saying this, in the corner of his eye, the Pharisees may be over there while he's talking. He's implying these are the bad shepherds. They fail the test that they're supposed to be taking internally during Hanukkah. So again, he's provoking by saying this, and he's also connecting with the people, average ordinary people, because they're thinking about the fact this is the time of year where our spiritual leaders are supposed to recalibrate their understanding of how God wants them to shepherd his people, all right? So number three, verse three, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. All right, they recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. All right, see how much Jesus is talking about his voice, recognizing his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. All right, go on. Verse 6, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me were thieves and robbers, all right? Who's over in the corner while he's talking? 
Pharisees. Who do you think he's calling thieves and robbers? Not, influence, not making friends and influencing people here, all right? They knew exactly he was talking about them. But the true sheep did not listen to them. So he's saying, don't listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them, us, a rich and satisfying life. Some versions you're familiar with will say abundant life. So Jesus is saying, that's what I came for, for, for people, all right? Here we go, next one. Number, verse 11, and I won't read all of 11 to 25. Jesus, it's more he's talking about, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And again, he's talking more about, he's promoting himself, accurately so, as the shepherd that people ought to be listening to. Not those thieves and robbers, not those strangers, not those false shepherds. All right? Um, and it's actually divisive because toward the end of this part of the passage, it says the people were deeply divided again. Some of them said, this guy's demon-possessed. He's crazy. Others said, well, but he did just heal a blind man, so he can't be from Satan. So you see how Jesus, remember last week I said, Jesus is always kind of cutting right down the middle of people. And some people are like, yeah, maybe he is. Others are like, no way. He's nuts. What he's saying is crazy. I mean, it, their, weird, their weed meter has broken because they're like, it's stupid. And again, if, if you're growing spiritually, there will be times where you're going to be teetering on that, ah, oh, this is crazy, this is crazy, this is nuts. Well, but I think this might be God. This is crazy, this is crazy, it, doesn't, it might be God. I mean, it's that kind of, ugh, we always deal with. All right, then jump into verse 26. But you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. So this is the same themes kind of continuing. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. So what Jesus is doing here, he's talking... And in the passage that I omitted, he, talk, he continues to talk a lot about his relationship with the Father. I and the Father are one. I do what the Father tells me to do. I do what the Father commands me to. The Father who sent me, I and the Father are one. So he's talking about this relationship he has with the Father that is obviously a conversational relationship, which any relationship is conversational. I mean, if you have a friend, if you're married, if you have a spouse, or you have friends, I'm assuming you have a relationship with that person, you talk to them. And I'm assuming if you have a relationship with that person, you listen to them. So talking and listening are like core components of any relationship. So he's talking about this relationship he has with the father that was offensive to the, the religious Jews. Like, oh, no, you can't, you, nobody gets that close to God. But then he's turning around and he's saying, that's the kind of relationship I want with you. I want a talking, listening relationship with you. So this relational paradigm of what it meant to be a, a Christian or at that time a good Jew was partly was what was offensive to these people because they, they had never been talked about, they had never been told that there was a relational element to this faith. It was all duty, obligation, and religious practices and good, solid doctrine. So if you had those things lined up, you were good. And now Jesus is saying, no, no, it's, it's relational. There's talking and listening that has to be going on. I need to be shepherding you every day. And, and, and implying that those Pharisees over there, they don't, they don't listen to God. All right? 
So we can see when he starts to say this kind of stuff and it's rattling people's paradigm, the very next verse says this. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. You have to be pretty angry to pick up stones to try to kill somebody. Yes, it was blasphemy, they said. Oh, it's blasphemy. But still, something must have been stirring. It weren't just, oh, I think that was blasphemy. Oh, I guess we should pick up stones now. They were, I mean, think about when you get angry. Or think about when somebody's crossed you. Or think about when somebody's kind of messed with your paradigm, messed with your status quo. And they may be challenging something evil in you or bad in you. But you don't like being messed with. And, you know, in the... You start feeling, you know, the tension down your neck and your, your, literally, your heart adrenaline. That's what was going on here. They were upset because Jesus was saying something about what life with God was like that they knew wasn't what their life was like, and they knew it would cost them something to have that kind of relationship. But again, what we read is some people said, no, some people believed. Some people, this resonated with them. That's what I thought life with God was always supposed to be. But others were like, no, he's <laughs> demon-possessed. He's crazy, all right? Three things in this passage I want you to grab onto today. One, and again, if you've been around Exodus, you've probably seen this slide 15 times. But if you're like me, I miss the voice of Jesus a whole lot more than I want to. I miss it a whole lot more than I hear it. Here's the say: You can recognize the voice of Jesus. Jesus kept saying, the sheep recognize my voice, they come to him. The sheep know my voice. Recognize means I'm aware of. Um, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to do this any kind of audible example, but I have, I have uh, four brothers, and two of them are here this morning. We're not going to do this, but if the three of us went behind this black case and one of us said something, some of you would have very difficult time figuring out which one, if it was me or not. Even though you've heard my voice regularly, if one of my brothers said something, you'd be like, now my wife, she would know, and those of you who know me well would know because you've heard my voice probably more than you want to have heard it, all right? But if people don't know me well, and one of my brothers would say the same thing, you would have a hard time recognizing my voice. And part of recognizing is discerning and filtering out See, because my brothers and I have very similar accents and wording, although they're from Chicago, so they talk Chicago, you know, that kind of thing. So, but you might, you might be able to discern that. But Jesus says that we can recognize his voice. And he doesn't, doesn't make it sound mystical or a nutty weird. He makes it sound like that's the norm. My sheep know my voice, they follow me. My sheep recognize my voice. All right. Um, one of the things with this I want to challenge you to is some of you... All of us, to some degree, have, have some kind of experience with hearing God and different habits and practices. I'm going to at least challenge you. I, you know, I don't care where you think you are in your spiritual maturity level. I'm going to challenge you to maybe in the next week or so do something different to, to grow in that way. For example, and I've done this a few times, and it's been an interesting experiment. You know, the, one of the passages earlier said that he goes on ahead of them and then calls them and they follow him. And somebody challenged me with this, and, I, and I've tried it a few times. It's kind of interesting. It's an interesting habit or experiment. I would say in the morning to God, okay, God, do you have any advanced words for me today? Anything you want to tell me now that I need to keep on the front burner because it might come up later in the day and I need to be able to respond. You know, you, you know what your day's like, but God knows what exactly your day's like. And I don't necessarily get, you know, it's not like some prominent 
advice or anything. You're going to buy, buy high, sell low, or stuff like that. But you never know, you know, there's certain passages come to mind, and then I'm in an interaction with somebody that gets a little intense. And then I remember the passage that I might have heard that morning, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Oh, that's what that was for. So just maybe try that for seven days. Where you ask God, hey, is there an advanced word? Then just kind of settle yourself. Maybe a passage of scripture will come to mind. Maybe a person will come to mind in your mind that you wonder why that, and maybe there's some way that might flesh out during the day. Another thing I've tried before is I've set my alarm on my watch to beep every hour. I haven't done that lately. And when it beeps, I stop for five seconds, and it, it, just quietly, because you don't want to be around people, I would just say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Is there any, I want to make sure I'm hearing you, anything you, I, you need to be saying to me right now. Um, Boom, then I go on with whatever I'm doing on the computer or if I'm driving or even if I'm having a conversation with somebody and it beeps, I know why it's beeping and internally I'm like, okay, guys, is there anything I should be listening to? Is there anything you're trying to say? So there's things like that that I, and I've told people, you know, reading, you know, if you're in the habit of reading the Bible on a regular basis, which I want to encourage everyone to do that, maybe you're reading and read a little slower, maybe. Um, wait for, well, the way I say it is, Maybe one of the passages will jump out in 18-point font when it's only printed in 10-point font, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I th that one kind of stuck out at me. Or another way I like to say it is somebody over your shoulder all of a sudden put a yellow highlighter on it. It's like, wow, where did that, that seem to kind of stick out. Pay attention to those things. I mean, there's practical ways where you can it, it listen to and grow in your awareness of recognizing the voice of God. Because he does speak to us. He always speaks consistent with Scripture. He will never say anything that contradicts what he's already said. But this is how we know what I, the Bible is essentially a collection of how God has related to people in the past and how his conversations have gone with them. So if we study God's history of conversations, we get a sense of what God might sound like. You've heard, you've heard me stand up here and preach probably like you know, many, many weeks. So you kind of know that if somebody else stood up here and said they were me, you could identify that's not Matt because it doesn't sound like him. He's not saying the kind of things Matt would say. Same thing with God. The more you know of God, the more if you have a sense that God's saying something to you, you'll know. And I often tell people is if God loves to speak in tones that are uncomfortable, inconvenient, and difficult. Always life-giving. So if what you're sensing is, I think God's saying to me to do something that's uncomfortable, but it feels life-giving, it's probably God. At least give that another loop in your mind and your heart. All right? So you can recognize the voice of God. Everybody can. Samuel was probably 12 or 13 years old in the Old Testament. If you're 12 or 13 years old, you can hear God. God can speak to you. All right? Second thing in this, in this passage, beware of strange voices. Jesus said they won't follow a stranger because they know his voice. He said there are thieves and robbers. They didn't listen to them because they don't recognize their voice. But he's acknowledging that there are going to be other competing voices to direct you and guide you. And in essence, one, one of the voices Jesus is saying is, beware of the religious voice. Because the religious voice, like the Pharisees, spoke in, in, in tones of obligation, duty, and guilt. And guilt is different than conviction. The Holy Spirit speaks in tones of conviction, bringing light where there's darkness and bringing healing and hope. Uh, the Holy Spirit does not speak in tones of guilt or co self-condemnation. If you're hearing, uh, you know, I, 
I know I should be giving more money, or I know I should be reading my Bible more. That's somewhat of a self-condemning tone. I know I'm worthless, I'm not a good Christian, don't read my Bible enough. I don't think that's the Holy Spirit saying that to you. I don't think the Holy Spirit uses that kind of sarcastic kind of condemning tone. Uh, And it's interesting how much we give voice to that religious voice, that strange voice that sounds kind of right, but it's pretty strange when we actually think about it. Or that voice that pushes you to stand up for your rights in a situation where maybe the voice of Jesus would say, lay down your rights in this situation. Or the voice that says, but I have to have enough money to make it. When the voice of Jesus might say, I will, always, I, will, I will supply all your needs. You don't need to hoard anymore. You don't need to hoard your stuff anymore. Give it away kind of things. So there's going to be all kinds of competing voices playing around in your head, almost in kind of this battles kind of way. And the last thing from this passage is that Jesus would say that listening is life. Um, he talks a lot about this passage of uh, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I want to lead them to pastures. I want to give them eternal life. And again, the Jew in that day would have not understood eternal life simply to mean life after I die. They understood it to mean a kind of eternally, an eternal kind of life that of course would have uh, eternal kind of implications, but it was an eternal kind of now life. It was a rich and satisfying God-centered now life. And it seems like what Jesus is saying, and I believe it is what Jesus is saying, is if you want to have that kind of life now, it's, it's tied strongly to a relationship, and a relationship is tied strongly to listening. Um, what I want to do to illustrate this, uh, I'm going to play a couple songs. And uh, how many people have seen the movie The Mission? Long, it's an old, old movie. I mean, old, like, what, 20 years? It's from the soundtrack, and I'm going to tie back into the oboe here for a second because this first, there's two, there's two tracks I'm going to play. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in a second. The first track, let me explain what it is. Though. The first track is an oboe solo. Um, I think it's called Gabriel's Oboe. So, you know, the idea of it's the angel Gabriel playing an oboe. It's interesting to note that the oboe is often the instrument with which the orchestra tunes itself to. Uh, when the shepherd would lead his sheep, often he could lead the sheep with a flute. So there was some kind of a musical tone that sheep would recognize to follow. So I want you to listen to the oboe, and it's an oboe solo mostly. The first part are a couple of timpani drums. Oboe solo. And I want you just to focus on listening to this oboe. And I want you to envision that perhaps being that time of the morning or that time in church where you give soul focus to, I'm going to tune my ear to this reality right now, all right? So close your eyes, and we're going to listen. I think it's a couple minutes long. It's just called Gabriel's Oboe. I'll probably talk a few times while it's playing. And let the oboe represent kind of the voice of the Spirit of God and what that would feel and sound like in a sense. So this might be that time in the morning where you're reading the Bible, 
listening to worship songs, and there's nothing else competing. It's just a focused time where you can tune your ear to the oboe. coffee or your diet coke and you're relaxed you're all there you're listening to god every the world is going well at that time of the morning for you close and again associate the oboe with kind of peace and rich and satisfying what Jesus was saying that's uh, rich and satisfying and peaceful now the next song same oboes playing same tune but you're going to also find some competing voices competing instruments you've got to focus a little bit more to keep finding the oboe and I want you to envision that being hey I'm going into my work day I'm going into my day and there's going to be all kinds of competing voices that threaten to drown out that oboe but you can still hear it even though you have to acknowledge the reality of everything else you know your to-do list your checkbook your work you know uh getting the kids dressed or whatever the the oboe is always there so now listen to this one and again now you're kind of entering in your day but you got to always make sure you hear the oboe and it starts out kind of just the oboe in the second ear it's smooth it's peaceful the kids aren't awake yet whatever <laughs> The oboe will start here in a second, so just relax. And the drums are starting, competing voices are starting, now the other instruments are jumping in. Here comes the oboe. But there's other things kind of intruding a little bit. Keep it focused on the oboe right now. Now you got voices jumping in with the drums. Keep the oboe. Keep the oboe, though. Don't lose it. 
finding the elbow. Don't lose it. Keep finding it. here and then we'll close. You can recognize the voice of God. You can recognize the Holy Spirit's promptings and voices throughout your everyday ordinary days. There will be strange competing voices that will fight for your attention and fight to override the oboe and tell you how to respond when you know the oboe, the Spirit of God would cause you otherwise. And Jesus said he came to lead us to life, full abundant life and listening is absolutely essential for that. And uh, so this next week, just I'm going to challenge you, and I'm challenging myself, push yourself a little bit more in that relationship. Grow a little bit more. Invite God. You know, when Samuel said, uh, the boy Samuel was confused about what he was hearing, the priest said to Samuel, next time you hear what you're hearing, say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. All right? So I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to say one, two, three. I want all of us out loud to say, speak, Lord, I'm listening. All right? Uh, one, two, three. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. God, I pray that that would be an invitation that you hear from us. And I pray that we uh, would welcome your voice throughout our week. Maybe even we would welcome your voice in those areas of our life where we have not yet welcomed you or maybe don't even want you. But speak, Lord, we're listening. And bring uh, healing and hope and life and rich and satisfying relationships into our lives this week and throughout the next few months because we're listening to you. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. We finish every...